I was counting down. They had the appointment to go for Hallie. Okay. Okay. So we're trying to get her to what day? Trying to get her to one more week. Okay. Did not not. I'll get it to you. Yeah. Is that gonna? Do y'all order it by next Friday? If not, we can. You know, we have to get some stuff anyway. We can grab it, grab what we can at Sam. If the way y'all typically order it takes. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. All right, great thing. I will get you that, that those numbers tonight. All right. Okay, all right, thank you. All right, good evening to everyone. Good to see everybody. We'll go ahead and get started this evening. Hope everybody's had a good day so far. Right. Brother David, we are sure delighted about the news with your son, Dean, the studies that he's had and the baptism. That was just wonderful news. So we are just so thrilled and delighted about that and we'll be praying for her. Um, all right, we will pick up where we left off last time. We're talking about just some suggestions for helping us heal anxiety from the inside out. So some things that, that we can do, can try to put into practice that um, will help. Again, I don't think those that this is a, an issue that you deal with on a regular basis, um, and we mentioned this last Wednesday, you know, all of us, uh, I am convinced, have something uh, that will be a constant struggle in our lifetime that will flare up from time to time. Um, and sometimes it, we may feel like we're overtaken by it. And so what I'm saying is it's, it, whatever that particular issue is that just sometimes has our number, um, it'll be a lifetime fight in battling whatever that particular uh, issue, weakness, vice, problem, sin is. I, and when I say that, I'm not saying that we're habitually committing the sin, but it may be something that we have to constantly be aware of, cognizant of, and very proactive in the way that we handle it, fight it, battle it, so that we're winning the battle more than we're losing the battle. Um, and, and so if anxiety is, is one of those that it's been maybe a lifetime struggle um, for someone, you're never going to get to the point, and this is the point we made last Wednesday, is where you get to the point of, well, I've conquered it, I'm done, I never have to think about it again, I am the victor, I am the master of this issue, move on. Um, but hopefully we can come up with techniques, whatever uh, our, our issue, our struggle, our weakness, the, the temptation that... Um, that, that we have to deal with, 
throughout the course of our life, we come up with ways to combat, with ways to um, deal with it in, in a successful, more than a defeating um, manner. We started with these suggestions last one. The first one, slow down, listen to the alarms. Don't try to drown them out with phone scrolling, binge watching, music blaring, self-medicating, etc. Write down the thoughts that trouble you and review for truth and accuracy. What we're trying to do with anxiety is to move from being terrified by it to being notified by it. So we're, we're not allowing the anxiety to debilitate us, to... Um, enslave us, to ensnare us. We're being notified by it when it's coming, and then we don't uh, try to default to those distracting techniques where, okay, well, I'm just going to um, mute or numb the alarm rather than deal with what is causing the alarm. Number two, feelings are real, but they do not always tell the truth. Um, the example we gave, you may forget someone's name that you've known forever. Does that mean that you have dementia? Uh, not necessarily. When you write down the anxiety-producing thoughts and analyze them, it helps separate fact from fiction. Remember we talked about um, Jacob when he believed. Uh, you know, and, and it's interesting to me. I love that the Holy Spirit revealed it to us when uh, the other brothers bring back the bloody coat of many colors. Um, Jacob's response is, I know. He didn't say, well, I guess, you know, the evidence leads to this being um, Joseph's fate. It was, I know. Did he know? No, he did not. But he felt like the evidence was um, overwhelming. That was indisputable that his son had been uh, devoured by a wild animal. So his feelings in response to that were real but they were based on something that was not true. Um, number three, and this is where we left off last one, is they keep a gratitude journal. This forces our mind out of the past, keeps it from speculating about the future, and it makes us focus on the present. Again, going back to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 34, when he told us multiple times that chapter not to worry, he says, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So Jesus did not negate the fact that each day comes with its specific challenges and issues and problems and burdens. So Jesus is acknowledging the fact that we're going to have to deal with issues each and every day, more than likely in our life, but sufficient for the day. So uh, what anxiety does, as we've said several times before, is it compounds whatever you're dealing with that day with regret or guilt that you're carrying with you to that present day that took place in the past and your worries about the uncertain future and you're compounding that on the day, now you've got an unbearable load. Uh, one of the things that a gratitude journal does it, is it takes us out of the past and it keeps us from thinking about the future and we're just focused on what are we thankful for, what are we grateful for this day, what's going on in our life right now that, that we have to be grateful for. Um, when you think about adding guilt from the past with uh, worries about the uncertain future onto the day, you know, that's, you know, compound, compounding is, is great if you're talking about interest that you're gaining on, on your savings or an IRA, but compounding is not good if you're compounding worries and anxieties. 
Number four, allow yourself to be vulnerable. Be brave enough to share your anxieties with a trusted friend, family member, or group. And that is one of the primary takeaways for this class, is that I'm hoping that it will embolden us, anyone who this is a struggle, I'm hoping it will embolden you to allow yourself to be vulnerable, to allow yourself to be open, to share with a trusted friend, somebody that you know you can take these issues to and they'll put it in a vault and they're not going to go broadcast it on, on their social media account, um, but they're going to be someone that you can bounce these issues off of and they're going to be a source of, of uh, help and encouragement to you. So allow yourself to be vulnerable, be brave enough to share your anxieties with a trusted friend, family member, or group. Number five, anxiety does not execute you. It grinds you down. Um, some of you may have experienced panic attacks in your life. When you have a panic attack, you have to treat it the same way that someone who is caught in a riptide in the ocean has to handle that riptide. I learned this from my wife who spent a lot of time in the ocean growing up. And she said, if you ever get caught in a riptide, you don't fight your way out of it. You just ride with it. And eventually, you'll work your way out of it. I've, some of you have been... Um, whitewater rafting before and you know they give you that whole safety spiel at the beginning before you you go and one of the things they say if you get dumped out of your raft and you get caught in a whirlpool you just go on your back and kick your legs up out of the water and eventually the whirlpool will spit you out if you try to stay in that whirlpool and just fight it and panic and uh, you're going to have issues. You're going to have problems. So basically what you have to do is just yield yourself to it and give in to it in essence. That's the same thing you have to do with a riptide, and eventually um, you'll work your way out uh, by the course of the water allowing you to leave. Um, so with panic attacks, don't try to fight it. You just drop your shoulders, you breathe, you let it run its course. Over time, the more you choose not to fight the things you cannot control, the less your body will use panic or flight to get your attention. It's kind of like that bully who's in the schoolyard and he looks for the ones that he can get the best reaction out of when he's picking on them, and the ones that he gets, the, the reaction that he wants, then what does he do? Continues to bully that kid, right? Because that, that kid's giving me what I want, the reaction that I want. If panic sets in um, and you react in a way that I'm not going to fight it, I'm, not going, I'm just going to allow it to run its course, and eventually your body says, oh, wait a minute. Okay, well, what's the point in, in having these anymore if you know, you're not going to make a big deal about it when it occurs? Number six, if you want to change how you feel and act, start by working, and boy, this is, this is easier said than done, I know. Believe you me, as I read this, um, I, I know this is the case. Start by working to control your thoughts. And you say, how in the world? Well, we, we cannot stop the thoughts that pop into our mind, but we can control the thoughts that we respond to or give audience to. Um, you think about David on his rooftop and he sees Bathsheba. It, it may, that was probably completely incidental that was not, I'm sure, David's intention when he went on the rooftop that night to spot Bathsheba bathing on her rooftop. It was, it was an incidental occurrence. 
uh, the mistake that David made is, is lingering on his rooftop and allowing uh, his mind and his eyes to absorb what he was seeing, which then, of course, um, contributed to the horrific mistakes that he made after that. So David maybe could not have controlled um, initially seeing Bathsheba on that evening, but he could control what he allowed his mind to continue to do from that moment over. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And... um. So many times we get some additional tidbits if we take maybe a familiar passage that we know very well and, and consider for a moment the context surrounding it. So 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5 says what? Alex, are you there? You'll read that one for us. Yes, sir. When you have meditated upon that verse before, taking every thought captive, what, what kinds of thoughts do you, do you think specifically when you're trying to make application in your own life to what Paul just said? Have you thought specifically about what kinds of thoughts that you need to take captive? What do you think is maybe the general reaction when you think, I take every thought captive what kinds of thoughts? That's a big one probably that comes to, to the mind of, of most males is, okay, I'm, I'm going to take, I'm not going to allow myself to go down the road mentally that David went down, you know, with Bathsheba. Um, anybody else have a thought of a particular thought that comes to your mind that covetousness is a big one, absolutely. That, that's, that one's a fueler for a lot of other sins and mistakes, right? Exactly. Yes, that's a big one. Pride, huge, yes. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Being very purposeful, uh, intentional in, in the practice of this principle. Brother Danny? It seems to me he's saying bring good thoughts captive. Because he said captive uh, into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Uh, though we're naming all those others, those are the ones we've got to get rid of and we've got to bring into obedience to Christ good thoughts. That's the it. Yeah. Absolutely, because we got to replace those thoughts with something, don't we? Uh, our mind's not just going to, you know, I mean, I know, guys, we talk about our ability to put our mind on screensaver mode, but, you know, and, and we can't do that forever. Um, you know, so eventually you have to replace those negative thoughts with, with those positive thoughts that, um, you know, that Christ wants us to uh, be our mental focus. A couple of things within the context of where this verse falls that is interesting. I mean, look with me in verse 2. Um, someone read verse 2 for us. So just a couple of verses before verse 5 that we just read. 
Okay, so Paul is making a reference to those who are doing what? Slandering him, talking bad about him. Knowing the firecracker that we believe Paul to be is the, in the way that he's revealed to us in Scripture, what kind of thoughts do you think Paul would have if he spent time reflecting upon those that are going around slandering him and talking bad about him? And What kind of thoughts do you think Paul might, the old Saul Paul might come into his mind as he's thinking about that? Man, I get my hands on that guy just one good time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the kind of thing that I'm. That's the kind of thought that I'm thinking. Paul would like to have as a reaction to. Okay, so he's talking about people that are slandering. Um, somebody look. What's that? <laughs> yes, absolutely. I know. Right now, verse ten. Somebody read verse ten for us. For his letters, they say, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak. So this is Paul talking about people who are doing what? Making fun of him, right? Boy, he, he talks big and bad when, when he's writing, but man, you look at him and that's not too, too intimidating of a figure there. It's interesting to me. So Paul is addressing before he says take every thought captive and after taking every thought captive to two things that probably a lot of us think about it's maybe a struggle for us to have the best thoughts in our mind when we're thinking about those people that are out there gossiping about us, slandering us, saying bad things about us, those people who are making fun of us, mocking us. Um, you know, here, so here's Paul addressing people who've made fun of his physical stature, his physical appearance, and those who are out there slandering his name. And right there in the middle of that, here's Paul saying, I take every thought captive the obedience of Christ. So a lot of times, and yes, we think about, okay, those vices, those sins, those things that, that pop in that are negative, that are sim, uh, sinful, that are sensual, that are tempting. But also what Paul is addressing here are, are those times where, um, you know, we want to lash back at people that are mistreating us, that are treating us badly. And I, I can imagine that could probably be an issue for Paul being the kind of um, person that he was, this fire in his bones kind of guy that he had, uh, that, that he, you know, fire in the bones kind of guy that he was. And so um, I can only imagine that there would be times where, where Paul would want to revert back to his old ways, um, at least verbally, in responding to these people who are treating him this way. But he's saying, I'm taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine anything being more insulting to Paul than that? Because, yes, I, you know, we've done, Andrew, you've been in the personality classes that we've done before. Where we try to piece together what we can learn about these um, people from Scripture and their personality types. And, and if Paul was a choleric, as I, I think, he, you know, Scripture reveals him to be, then, yeah, <laughs> Don't tell a caller they're not good at what they've chosen as their life's mission, profession, uh, occupation, whatever. Exactly. Um, 
Very, very interesting thoughts there surrounded by around that verse. Number seven, the thoughts we give audience to affect our heart rate, stress hormones, our gut health. So we have to challenge those thoughts. Um, there is nothing wrong with saying out loud, get behind me, Satan, exactly the way Jesus said to Peter in Matthew chapter 16. You remember, so, and that, that it's a whole separate topic to discuss the, the rise and fall of Peter just in one conversation. You know, he goes from being, and blessed are you, son, Barjona, for flesh and blood is not revealing to you, my Father art in heaven, giving you the keys of the kingdom. And in that same conversation, after Jesus has said that, he then talks about what he's going to, to do for the world, and that is to suffer, to die on the cross, to rise again the third day, and Peter tries to pull him aside because he's feeling really good about himself right now. He's just been blessed by the Lord in front of the apostles. He's just been given the keys to the kingdom, so he's feeling a little, little big for his britches. So he pulls the Son of God to the side and rebukes him, Matthew says. This isn't going to happen to you. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, for you are a hindrance to me. Man, you're talking about being in one conversation. And so Jesus out loud is basically saying, have you not taken a second to think that I've had that same thought? That no, I don't want to go through this for you thankless ingrates. And so there's nothing wrong with, you have these, these thoughts that pop into your head that want to take you down this rabbit hole that leads into anxiety. You just say out loud, get behind me, Satan. Not today, Satan. Whatever your, your mantra that you choose is, Jesus gave us full permission to do that. Number eight, make a list of what you can and cannot control. You can control things like screen time, exercise, work ethic, etc. You cannot control other people's attitudes, insecurities, behaviors. You cannot control what other people post on social media. You cannot control what other people say and do. You can control whether or not you keep an app on your phone that is causing you stress. So decide, here's what I can control, here's what I can't control. The things that I can control, I'm going to do what I can do about those things to make my life easier, to make my life less stressful, to, to make my life less anxious. The things that I cannot control, I'm going to remind myself over and over again, I cannot control that. I cannot control this person's mouth. I cannot control this person's driving skills. I cannot control just fill in the blank with whatever causes you stress and anxiety on any given day and let go of those things that you cannot control. Number nine, unwittingly we write the story of our future from narratives based on the past. This is especially true with trauma. When it comes to trauma, we must acknowledge and identify it. Then we must decide to not allow it to identify us. Your past is an experience. It is not a destination. We mentioned this last Wednesday and um, talked about that a good bit when we're talking about Lot. You are not the worst thing you have experienced, done, or said. Philippians 3 and verse 13, Paul, who had as many skeletons in his closet as anyone, talks about forgetting what is behind and pressing 
toward those things that are ahead. And isn't it interesting that in that context, now it, this is very true when it comes to, to trauma and, and things that we have experienced, especially those things that, that were outside of our control. Um, we don't need to you know, think that our, our identity is, is based upon those things. But in the context in Philippians 3, when um, Paul makes that statement, this one thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind and pressing forward to those things which lie ahead. You know, he is not, in the preceding verses in Philippians chapter 3, he's not talked about uh, his horrific past, except just, just one brief little comment. Most of what he has talked about leading up to that were the things that he was most proud of before coming, becoming a Christian. A Benjamite, um, a Hebrew of Hebrews, uh, according to the, the law, zealous, uh, as far as practicing the old law, blameless. I mean, he, he lists all these accomplishments, accolades, both from an academic standpoint, a biological standpoint, and everything in between. And, and yet, what does Paul do? He says, I forget all those things that are behind. So yes, included in that, concerning the church, a, pure, a persecutor. But that, that was the only really negative thing about his past he made reference to before making that statement of forgetting those things that are behind. So a lot of times when we think about Paul forgetting those things that are behind, we're thinking he's focusing on um, those traumatic things, those sinful things, those things that maybe would make him lose sleep at night sometimes. But in the immediate context, he's talking about everything. Yes, being a persecutor of the church, trying his best to to forget that and move forward, but, but all the things that he considered valuable, that he considered good. In other words, the past is the past, whether it was good, bad, indifferent. I forget those things that are behind. I move forward and press forward to those things that are ahead. Oh, Jeremy, excellent, excellent point. And I'm going to jump way ahead in my notes to piggyback on something that you said to what I was going to do um, after these things that we're going through right now and just pull out a few highlights from, I mentioned it uh, briefly a few Wednesdays ago, Batsel Barrett Baxter, a wonderful gospel preacher from several years ago, wrote a book entitled When Life Tumbles In. And in his chapter on how to deal with guilt and how to overcome guilt, he gave several uh, tidbits on how to do that. And um, <clears throat> excuse me, let me get right to it so I won't 
not state it accurately. He says this, so he gives five. I'll just give you this as number four, and then, then we'll cover all five of them when we get there. He says, sincerely and one time only, ask the Lord to forgive you of a particular sin. And then he said, don't burden the Lord with a whole bunch of times after that asking for forgiveness for that exact sin. Now, I'm not talking about you know, sins that you've committed since then, but I, maybe you've got one big one in your past that you've asked the Lord to forgive you for and, and you've made it right with the Lord. Then the Lord is not expecting nor wanting you then to pray to Him multiple times after that about that that sin in the past has already been forgiven and forgotten by God. Don't continue to ask him to do something that he's already done, in essence, is what he's saying. But he says, you know, you're dealing with your guilt and, and you can't forget it, and we cannot. And Keith, I'll get you here in just a second. What we do with regrets from the past, um, when we try to erase them from, from our mind and, and so they, they don't cause us guilt and, and heartbreak in the present, it's like when you use an eraser to um, remove dry erase marker. Uh, unless you're a way better eraser than I am, in every situation that I've ever erased a board that was written on a dry erase marker, you can still faintly read what was left behind. Uh, unless you've got a, a, a magic eraser or something better than what I've used. Typically, it's very faint. You can write over it, and, and it's not going to hinder what you want to do you know, next. But there's still a faint, that, that's what we do. You know, even when, when we try to, to forgive and move on when people have wronged us, you know, we, it's impossible for us as human beings to completely forget. God does not operate that way. When David was asking for the Lord concerning his sin with Bathsheba and Uriah to blot out my iniquities in Psalm 51, what he was asking the Lord to do is something the Lord is capable of doing, and that is to remove it as if that writing was never put on the dry erase board to begin with. It's like it never existed. So, so when God forgives us of something that we have repented for and, and, and changed our heart and our mind and our attitude and our actions, when he blots it out, it's as if it never happened. So when God has forgiven us of something and we go back again about that same thing, Lord, that thing that I asked you to forgive me for that I did in 1983, I'm asking you for forgiveness for that again. And you, you go back and back and back to that. that. That's what is feeding your guilt. But God is handling, you don't have to, I've blotted that out. What are you even talking about? Keith? That's it. <coughs> Right. Exactly, Keith. Perfect point. You know, don't forget the lessons learned from it, the lessons that will empower you and enable you not to make that same mistake over and over again, but don't bring it back up into your consciousness so that you can then go through the process of, of beating yourself up about it all over again. 
Yeah, Brother There's Dan. There's also the thing about uh, he is faithful and just to forgive all our iniquities. And do we really believe him? If we do, then we'll forget it and not keep bringing it back up. There's, there's both sides of that issue. We might continue to feel guilty or we might continue to feel that God hadn't done what he promised he would. Excellent point, Brother Danny. I, I tell you, I think you've read the, the Batzel Barrett Baxter's book because that one is number five um, in, in his um, suggestions for overcoming guilt. Accept the forgiveness. Um, in other words, trust that he did it. Trust that he forgave you. So exactly. Great point. Anything else there? JP and then Neil. And then Andrew. Okay, I'm sorry, Brother Cliff. Exactly. That's right. Exactly. Having that, having that balance between those. So, and going back to Keith's point too, and, and it's great. So, taking the lessons learned and moving on. But yeah, to, to get to the point to where you get forgiven in the first place, to have that godly sorrow, that um, that remorse, that that remorse that leads to repentance, not the regret that Judas had, where yeah you know, he didn't go through the process of reconciliation, but that that report, remorse that leads to repentance that then leads to forgiveness. Exactly. JP? Oh, you were, were you just helping, helping me get to Brother Cliff? Good, good stuff. All right, Neil and then Andrew. All 
Sure, absolutely. It's a big part of James' instructions, um, you know, concerning our prayer life. You know, you ask and don't receive because you ask amiss. In other words, you're asking for the wrong things. And that was, uh, you know, that, that was the thrust of, of his particular statement because you're asking for things that you can spend for your pleasure's sake. Um, and, and so I know that's not specific what you were speaking about, but sometimes we're not necessarily praying for something that is pleasurable to us or something that we want and don't necessarily need. But, you know, sometimes, yeah, it's, it's a shift of a focus even, even beyond that, uh, that particular thought or idea. It's good. Neil? Andrew? Man, Andrew, really excellent point. And um, when you reference Paul there towards the end, it's such, such a good example because in, in both cases of Paul, in um, the, the success that, that he achieved in, in what, well, the success he thought that he was achieving in his spiritual walk when he was still an adherent to the law of Moses and, and in opposition to the Christ, in opposition to Christ, his motivation was pleasing God. His anger at those who were of the way were, you are, you are hurting my God. And, and so his zeal was, I'm going to do what I can to, to um, take you down so that my God can be back in his proper place. That is first and foremost. So it was easy for, for God to take Paul and use him um, for the church because his motivation in both places just like you're saying, in the good times, the bad, and everywhere in between, God was his focus. Um, glorifying him, serving him was his focus. He just needed to be pointed in the right direction. And so it was, it was easy. The ones who were not able to make the shift that Paul made were the ones who were self, they were involved in self-glorifying, self-gratification. The ones who, we love the praise of men more than the praise of God. We're not going to confess Christ even though what he has shown us is beyond dispute. <coughs> He's got to be who he said he was. They believed in him, would not confess him, uh, John 14, lest they be put out of the synagogue. Benjamin, and then JP.
uh, such great advice for all of us, isn't it? And I mean, yeah, let's let's practice as brothers and sisters in Christ, um, letting bygones be bygones. You know, I, I guarantee you, if um, if Jesus had lingered on long after his forty days after his um, resurrection before his ascension, if he had ever been a party to listening to any of those apostles dredge up Peter's three denials uh, on, on the eve of his death on the cross, I guarantee you Jesus would have squashed that like a bug. Um, he'd have said, you're not, Peter and me are fine. You're not bringing that up. That's, that's not a topic for ongoing discussion. Um, that's, that's a fantastic point, Benjamin. We, we need to allow that, that grace and mercy to one another and not bring up forgiven sins from the past to each other. Absolutely. JP and then Kelly. <laughs> Y'all got some good comments tonight, man. Y'all are bringing it. Oh, yes. Oh, that, that, that is so great. And I'll just take our thought. I'm sorry, Kelly, before we get to you, and you can close us out tonight. Going back to that, um, you know, the, the First Peter 5, 7, you cast all your care upon him for he cares for you. And you, you may remember several Wednesdays back, we talked about that he, uh, that Greek word that is translated as, as casting uh, there in First Peter 5, 7 is only used twice in the entire New Testament. The only other time is when they were describing the way that the two disciples cast the, um, the coat on top of the colt that Jesus rode upon into Jerusalem. And so you've got these, these two castings. So we're casting our burdens upon Christ. So he's got you know, our burdens on his back. And, and you've got this idea, maybe we can allow that, that coat that's sitting um, on top of the colt under Christ, we can let that represent our pride. And then we're right there in the middle. You know, so allow Jesus to sit on our pride and squash it. Allow him to carry our burdens, and, and we're just in the middle along for the ride. Um, Kelly? exactly what JP was talking about there a minute ago. Yeah, 
a lot of times those high moments are short-lived, aren't they? So we gotta we gotta help God. We gotta allow God to help us through the the highs and the lows. Definitely. Thank y'all so much for your great comments. Lord willing, we'll pick up there next Wednesday. We'll move on to our devotional time. Just move over here. Thank you. I was ejected from my seat, so. Recognize or know her, but just did not not know that family connection. Yeah. You know John Hayes. Oh yes, yes. I just want to stay John. How could John you not know John Hayes? Exactly. <laughs> he's, he's a good said, old fellow. John knows everybody. In yeah. Three counties. He said, "No, I think he's up to four. Jason Dunn. That man that know any strangers. Just turn his thing on, or is he going to do it? I think they'll. Yeah, you don't have to do anything. Uh, they'll turn it back on. Is somebody doing announcements, or am I just going for it? As far as I know, if we don't have somebody working, say I, I don't see anybody looking like an announcer, so you know. I'm speaking, man. Are you the announcer? -er? No, I'm the Jimmy Bowles person. Oh, okay. So he said Jimmy Holmes. He called me. He sounds like an announcer. -er. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know Jimmy's at home? I think he is. 